0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. First of all, I want to thank you all for coming out here today. Please give yourselves a warm round of applause and maybe the only one you get all day. Thank you so much for coming out. It's good to see you. It's good to see the more Jews coming out to learn during this time, the better it is. I want to thank the amazing staff at Yashave Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful Lunch and Learn and uh, putting out the beautiful food and everything. They're amazing. And I want to thank the amazing staff over at Tor anytime. It's an app. It's a website. It's filled with over a quarter of a million hours of uh, a quarter over a quarter of a million classes. Go on down, check it out, find something you like. If you enjoy our, my classes, feel free to hit the follow button and you'll get regular notifications when we upload new classes. And feel free to share if you're inspired. Alrighty. So, let's get started with this week's Torah portion. Now, this week's Torah portion is so, such an amazing portion because it records the first words ever said to the Jewish people. When I say the Jewish people, it's kind of complicated. When did the Jewish people start? Now, obviously, all of humanity comes from Adam. All of humanity also comes from Noah, because after the flood, it was Noah and his family that con- continued forward. However, the Jewish people come from Avraham. Okay, the Jewish people come from Avraham. Interestingly enough, the Muslims come from Avraham as well, right? That's from Ishmael his other son, or one of his other sons. He had a number of other, he had, he had a number of other sons, because later on in his life, Keturah would give him six more children. So he actually had seven other children, a fact not recognized or remembered by most. So it was one of his other children. Um, however, so Avram is sort of the beginning of the people that would become the Jewish people. We don't formally become the Jewish people until we enter into the covenant with God at Sinai, when we then sort of transfer and, so to speak, wed ourselves, marry ourselves to HaKadosh Hu, to God, and that's when we choose Him and say, Nasa v'Nishma, and Hashem chooses us. So that's sort of when the actual Jewish people, sort of their Genesis moment is at the Mount Sinai, but the people that would go to Mount Sinai start their lives with the Avos with, and the Imahos, the patriarchs and the matriarchs. And the story of their life starts in this week's Torah portion. What are the first words ever uttered by God to Avraham, the first of our forefathers? Abraham. This week's portion. Pars- no. HaShem El and HaShem said to Avraham, Lech Lecha. Okay. Go for yourself. And we also know that the Ramban, Nachmanides, tells us that all the actions of our forefathers, Maase Avos, the stories of our forefathers or Sim Lebanim, are Simon and Labanim, are a sign for the children. The first message that God is telling all of us is, Lech Lecha, go become you. There is no other you in the world. The entirety of the cosmos only has one of you. When we try to be like this one or like that one, when we try to copy our neighbor who just got a new this and I want to have that too, they got this, I I try to dress like this one because they're so cool. I try to talk like that one because he's so funny. I try to be like that one, the world ends up missing out on you. Because we only have one of you in the cosmos. And you have a role, and you have a job, and the world needs you. The world doesn't need more of another person. The world doesn't need Frank and Frank copycat number one and Frank copycat number two and Frank copycat number three. The world needs you. So the very first message that Hashem gives to Avram is, we need you, lech lecha, go become you. You. And the first message that God is saying to every one of us is saying, Go become you. Go fulfill your manifest destiny. Figure out what it is that you are supposed to contribute to the world, and make sure that you've got it. Now the first of these conversations, Hashem says to him, From your land, And from your birthplace, And from the house of your father. To the land that I will show you. okay. And God says to him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all the children of the world, all the families of the world, will be blessed through you. And then continues the pasuk, "Vayelach Avram kasher diber elohav Hashem," and Avram went as Hashem spoke to him. Vayelach ito Lot, and Lot went with him. Avram ben Chames v'shivim shana, but ceiso mecharan, and Avram was seventy-five years old when he left Charan. The first thing the Torah tells us after it tells us that he fulfilled God's command was his age. It's fascinating, specifically with Avram, the Torah really seems to be obsessed with telling us his age at every stage. It tells us how old he was when he left Kharan. It tells us how old he was when he was commanded to get a bris It tells us how old he was uh, when he had his child, Yishmael, the first child born to him. It tells us how old he was when Yitzhak was born It was constantly telling us his age. But the first time we see it is over here. And what was his age? A ripe old 75. Can you imagine what it takes... To change your entire life at the age of 75. It's pretty wild. It's pretty natural when you're a young person to change. The ages of, you know, the teenage years, so to speak, right? The teenage years, the years that people used to say, you know, it's important for people to go to college, They develop their own individuality there. They may make some mistakes, you know, maybe they'll do some drugs or listen to some rock and roll, you know, like, (laughs) today you go to college campuses and you don't get individuality. You become a groupthink. You become a clump of groupthink with an inability to actually think for yourself. Freedom of expression, I I wrote about this this past week in my Shabbos email, freedom of expression is, is incredibly low and specifically the number one most sort of vaunted, respected college, university in America, Harvard University, is also the one that recently was rated the absolute lowest for free speech. This idea, what you're supposed to do during your teenage years and your young adult years is to figure out who you are. There's a famous social scientist named Eric Erickson. Eric Erickson is to social work what Freud is to psychology, okay, sort of, right? So Freud is like the father of psychology. Eric Erikson was one of the great founders, so to speak, of the field of social work. I happen to have gone to social work school, so we studied Eric Erickson at great length. Eric Erickson divides your life up into different components, and each one has its own challenge. The challenge for the teenage years leading into young adulthood is identity, Versus identity confusion. <laughs> now think about this, he wrote that so long ago. Wow, if he was around today, he'd be like, see guys, I told you. <laughs> identity versus identity confusion. The idea that he talks about is, can you differentiate out from your parents? A child, when they're younger, they kind of see themselves as sort of like an extension of their parents. At a certain point, though, you've got to start building your own personality. We know who your family is, who are you? And that's the job of the teenage years leading into young adulthood. When you get to young adulthood, your next uh, challenge is intimacy versus isolation. Now that you've figured out who you are, can you share that with another? Or will you remain isolated? Can you properly get, ma- get married today? You talk about getting married today to someone who's 24 years old. I think you're, you're insane, or, or you're religious. But if they like... <laughs> Erickson, when he was talking about it, the age was 24, if I'm not mistaken, that you start the next challenge in life. Can you, now you figure figured out who you are, identity versus identity, confusion, so you've, you could have been confused, but you figured out who you are, are you ready to share that with another? Now I am me, now can I share that me with another and become we? Can I do that? Can I successfully go through that process? So it's normal to be trying to figure out who you are at that age. At 75, that's not the norm. At 75, that is absolutely, by that time, according to Eric Erickson, you are firmly ensconced in the eighth challenge of life called legacy versus despair, where I want to know, like, what is my, as I start rounding the corner, right? Past 75, I start rounding the corner, I'm on the back nine, right? I'm on the back nine. I only have another 75 years to go, or whatever it might be, right? I start thinking about legacy. Am I le- what kind of legacy am I leaving behind? So that's normally what most people are thinking of. This is when God comes to Avram and says, you've got to pick up and go and leave everything behind, and I'm not even telling you where you're going to go. You know why I'm not telling you where you're going to go? Because if I tell you where you're going to go, then you already have the destination. You're going to be biased. There'll be confirmation bias. You know what you're supposed to be, so you're going to be pushing towards that. I want you to discover who you are, I want you to put everything on the table. And lech lecha, really become you. And you cannot become you if I tell you who you should be at the end. You have to go down that journey. How does somebody at the age of 75 leave it all behind and put everything on the table and say, everything I've lived, everything I've done is all up for grabs and I need to sift through everything and figure out what is really my purpose and my goal and what is not and walk away from everything else. How do you get to that place? There's a Hasidic master known as the Bas Ayan. And he says something fascinating, the number 75, it's a a unique number, we don't find it a lot in the Torah, but we find it right here, the number 75, what does the number 75 signify? So he says, unbelievably, the number 75 is the gematria, is the numerical equivalence of bitachon, faith, trust. The only way that you're going to be willing, at the age of 75, to say, everything's on the table. My whole life, I believed that it's okay to eat out at at non-kosher restaurants as long as I only bring kosher into my home. And at 75, I say, wait, you know what? No, maybe that, why is that right? Why is it right for me to eat trep outside of the home as long as I don't bring it into the home? My home is my body. My body is the home of my soul. If I shouldn't be bringing non kosher food into my home, I shouldn't be bringing non kosher food into my body, which is the home for my soul. Whew! Light bulb goes off at the age of 75, and at that moment I decide, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. For example, <laughs> another example. I talk during davening. Whatever. Listen, I think that synagogue it's an important place. It, it, I've actually had in my life times where I've asked people to be quiet during davening and I've gotten like severe blowback. Like, dude, don't tell me what to do, okay? If you don't want, I just won't come to shul anymore. Which by the way, don't come to shul anymore. <laughs> it's like <laughs> If you're going to sit in middle of shul and talk, the whole davening, do me a favor, don't show up. Like, if you want to talk during Shul, by all means, uh, he, what he said to me is, is like, look, the whole week I never see my friends. So when I'm here, I'm going to schmooze with them, okay? Whoa. No, not okay. <laughs> and all you've got to do, by the way, is just step outside of the sanctuary. Don't schmooze with your friends in the sanctuary while people are trying to talk to God. Don't be disruptive. But for my whole life, I've been talking in Shul. And then even at the age of 75, yes, even at the age of 75, I could decide, that's it. I'm putting the spike down here. Up until now, up until here, I've spoken in shoal. I didn't think it was a big deal if I talked to the person next to me during shul. I'm done. Over. Until now, I didn't think it was important for me to study Torah every day. Every day? Come on. That's a bit much. But then, at the age of 75, I decide that there should not be a day in my life that goes by where I don't study some Torah. It could be that I study a a, a piece of the chumash, the stone chumash, I take out the stone chumash and I read a few verses with some commentary on the bottom. It could be that I get a daily email and I with a a Dvar Torah on the Parsha and I read it it could be something, but I can't have a day in my life that goes by without Torah what do you mean, but for 75 years I did okay, 75 years, but now I've got faith that I can make this change we need enormous faith to be able to believe that we actually can make meaningful change in our lives at the age of 75 or at the age of 14 or at the age of 44 or at the age of 65, or whatever the number is The way you're able to make that choice, especially when it's later on, is you need to have tremendous faith. Avram to pick up and leave everything behind? How does it happen? Bitachon. Faith in God, that if I embark on this journey, He will carry me through. There is a... um, I heard this idea... um, I heard this idea... Let me just see the name of the... From Rabbi Shalom Rosner. In the book of Exodus, when the Jewish people are standing at the edge of the, the Red Sea, and the Egyptian horde is about to descend upon them, and the Jewish people call out to God, they cry out to God, they, they start praying to God, and God's response is puzzling. He says, what are, you, what are you crying to me? So, speak to the Jewish people, and they should start the journey. And the rabbis ask, What do you mean, why are you crying out to me? That's what we Jews do. We pray. That's how we fight our wars. We pray. What are you? Hashem saying to Moshe, Why are you guys praying to me? Go. But Moshe like, Isn't that what we do? Pray. So he says, Over oh, in a fascinating idea, there are times that God's saying, I want to make miracles for you, I want to make miracles for the Jewish people there's, whatever there is in heaven, you know, prosecuting angels, whatever it might be, they're not not giving me that, they're not allowing it to me. What unlocks the miracles? When you step off a cliff, not when you pray, but when you step off a cliff and say, alright God, I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm walking out on this cliff, then I just It breaks through all... When you do it, because you say, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm stepping out over here. I'm making myself incredibly vulnerable. I'm putting myself out in a way that I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust that you're going to catch me. Then God says, at that moment, it breaks through all the barriers, and there I am, putting the slats beneath you to carry you across to the other side. What does this mean for us? We all know the areas in our lives that we need to work on. And we've probably given it a shot once or twice before, and therefore, because we we failed once or twice, we figure it's not worth it. I can't do that. Here's what you do. You go out on a limb, and you say, God, I'm doing this. I'm going to make a big move in my life. Even though maybe for 75 years, I haven't done this. I'm making a big move, and I just have faith that you're going to catch me, and you make the move. You make the move. You decide, that's it. I'm not eating out. Not kosher anymore. I'm not talking in shul anymore. I'm starting to study dafyomi, even though I don't understand what's going on. I'm making the move. I'm stepping out. And God says, you're stepping out across the abyss? You don't know what's going to happen to you, but you're doing it with faith? I got you. I saw a video yesterday of an Israeli woman speaking. This woman lives in Sterot. Stay Road is the city that borders Gaza. She was telling over her story from the morning of the massacre. The pogrom. She says she woke up in the morning and she hears thunderous, thunderous explosions. It wasn't like the regular standard rockets. In Stay Road, they get rockets all the time, unfortunately. And she's, she's, there's chaos, there's noise... She starts looking out of her window, and she literally sees, outside her window, there are hmm, savages on trucks, there are savages on motorbikes, and they're all armed to the teeth, and they're shooting at civilians, and she doesn't know what to do. She grabs her children, she gives each one of them a knife. And she says, go into the safe room and don't, whatever happens, don't come out. She stayed outside. She said, I'll try to defend my children. She's looking through a crack in the windows and she literally sees savages walking through the streets, rocket launching missiles, projectiles at people's houses. And she says, at that moment... I said the following. I said, God, it's just me and you here. There's nobody else. The army isn't here to save me. There's no one here to save me. And there are savages lurking outside my house. She said, she didn't say the word savages. She said, I said, it's just me and you, God. Here's all I can do I can promise you the following. If you save me and my children, I promise you that my Shabbos will be holy. This woman was not Shomer Shabbos before. She says, if you save me, I promise you that my Shabbos will be holy. And she said these words, it's just me and you, God. It's just me and you. She went back into an inner room in her house and nobody touched her apartment. There were, she could hear them outside the whole time going through apartments, nobody touched her apartment. Now, I heard this from her mouth, a video, obviously. I heard this in a video from her mouth. It's just you and me, God. I'm stepping out on a a ledge over here. I'm going to do something that I'm not accustomed to doing. I'm going to take a leap of faith. And when we take a leap of faith, God says, I'm here to catch you but I can only have that if you take the leap of faith. Next, I want to point out another idea that I heard this week from Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg from Boca Raton. He said, such a beautiful idea. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, what a message for this times. Hashem says to Avram, if you go on your journey... Va'avarcha I will bless those who bless you. U'mikhalalcha a'or And those who curse you I will curse. Now, I know that you guys are maybe not fluent in Hebrew but this is pretty... You'll notice what I'm going to point out now. Va'avarcha mivarchecha. I will bless those who bless you. It uses the same root word. B'arech. B'arech. The root word, the shoresh, the root word is barech. Va'avarecha, I will bless. Mevarchecha, those who bless you. Then, and those who curse you, root word kalel, A'ar, I will curse. Right? Because aror, the word aror means to curse. Okay? So, but here, Hashem changes the language. When it comes to blessing, it says, Those who bless you, I will bless. Um, Vavarcha, me'varchecha. But when it comes to cursing, it says, Those who curse you, I will curse, but it changes the word. There's two different words for curses in Hebrew. There's "kalalah, and there's aror. And it says, um, mikalalcha, those who curse you, or I will curse. Why does Hashem change the language? Said Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, The word aor contains the word or, contains the word light. Umikalelcha aor means those who curse you, I will have them lit up with your light. Those who try to diminish us only create more Light. Look at what happened to Israel after Hamas carried out the most heinous attack in our lifetimes. They've been cursing us, and they continue to curse us on college campuses, all the Hamas activists on college campuses, because that's what they are. If you're marching from from river to sea, Palestine will be free, you are Hamas. You may not have a card that says you're Hamas. You may not be getting the same stipend that Hamas is offering. You know, Hamas told everybody for every person you kidnap will give you $10,000 in an apartment. So if you're on a college campus at Harvard or GW, or, I mean, you could pretty much say almost any campus in America. MSU, University of Michigan, and you're marching on behalf of from river to sea, Palestine will be free, which means we will push all the Jews into the water. Decolonization. Then you're Hamas. And you're going to try to curse the Jewish people. You know what's going to end up happening? You're going to see their light. The Jewish people has never been more unified than in the last few weeks in my lifetime. Secular, religious... Israeli, American, everyone is coming together. And the light, the kindness, the soup, the, the, the food operations, and everyone here, wherever you go, people are sending clothing and, 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 and sweaters and long underwear for to keep them warm. It, the, tactical vests and, and flashlights and drones, whatever they can send. Americans, French, Jews, people from all over the world. You want to try to curse us, you're going to see our light. There's a famous story with the Kleisenberger Rebbe. The Kleisenberger Rebbe was a giant of a man, a giant of a man, who lived through the Holocaust, and because he was a rabbi, the Nazis picked on him more than everybody else. He saw his entire family massacred. He ended up being sent to Auschwitz. And still in Auschwitz, they picked on him. One day, it was Simchas Torah, which was the exact same day that these savages carried out their attack. And the Nazis knew that it was Simchas Torah, so they decided, we're just going to beat the rabbi to a pulp, because it's Simchas Torah. You guys want to celebrate your Simchas Torah? Go right ahead. So they came into the barracks, looking for the rabbi. And they beat him till he was lying in a bloody pulp on the floor. And they left him there. The work detail went out that day. They came back at the end of the day. And what do they see? The Kleisenberger Rebbe. He couldn't even stand up on his feet. His feet were so bashed up. But he's holding on to the bunk beds and he's dragging himself back and forth in a dance singing blessed is our God that created us to honor him and separated us out from all those mistaken ones and gave us the Torah of truth inconceivable inconceivable inconceivable. You try to curse us, you'll see our light. You try to break us open, all that's going to come spilling out is light. That's who we are. And that's the promise that Hashem gave to Avraham when Avraham was first starting out as the patriarch of the Jewish people. Now, there's a fascinating story. When Abram leaves, Lot goes with him. Who is Lot? Lot is his nephew. Exactly. Lot is his nephew. And Lot comes with him. Now, what happens? They get into... They finally make their way to Israel... Okay? And he travels and he travels, and he gets to Israel. And God said to him, by the way, I'm going to make you great, I'm going to make you wealthy, right? I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. Which Rashi explains to us in the name of the Medrash that I'll, I'll give you children and wealth and a, a, a name. Usually when you travel away, you leave behind your place that you were spent your whole life you know, it's, it's expensive to leave and uproot yourself. You lose money. You, it, it, having a family is harder when you're constantly being moved around. And your name is diminished because no one knows you when you go to the new place. Hashem says, don't worry, I'll give you all the above. What happens? Avram gets to Israel. And what happens? Instead of getting wealth, there's a famine. Right? So Hashem said to him, I want you to take this journey, and I'm going to make you wealthy. And instead, Hashem, Avram takes the journey... And he gets to this place, and he's starving. Most people at this point would be like, I don't understand, God. You told me to do this, and I did this, and you didn't give me what you promised. by he and there was a famine in the land. And by the way, this is considered to be one of the next big tests of Avraham. Avram ba'asara nisyonos nisnasa Avram Avram tells us the Mishnah and ethics of our fathers was tested with ten massive tests, and each one of them, he was imbuing our DNA with the ability to overcome these challenges. And one of those major challenges is the challenge when you do the right thing, and yet, you don't see the reward. And in Avram's case, Hashem even told him, I'm going to give you, there'll be great reward for you, and yet, Avram leaves everything behind as God had told him, Travels all the way to the land of Israel and what happens? There's a famine, he has nothing to eat. He has to go he has to go borrowing money and leaving and running away to another country where his wife ends up getting kidnapped. Let make a blessing. Lot on the other hand Lot ends up becoming going the other way. Lot becomes cynical. Lot ends up. Sorry, hold on a second. uh, Lot becomes a cynic and he ends up uh, denying the validity of God. I want to read to you the uh, language. So the language is hold on a second later on we're going to see and also for Lod who went with Avram there was cattle and sheep and tents and the land cannot hold both of them for their possessions were too extensive and they were unable to sit together and there was a quarrel by Yeriv, Ben Roemikne Avram and Ben Roe Mikne Lot between the uh, the, her, the the shepherds of Avram and the shepherds of Lot. What was the fight about? Lot's shepherds were grazing in other people's fields. And when Avram tried to chastise Lot, that's dishonest. Remember last week we spoke about stealing. You cannot allow your animals to graze on other people's lands. And he said, <laughs> So first the, the shepherds tried chastising, meaning Avram's shepherds said our master always makes sure that whenever we go through public areas, he actually muzzles his animals so they shouldn't by mistake graze from the grass on the side of the road from someone else's field. When we're taking them to the city, you know, animals, if you ever go on horseback riding, the animal, whatever it sees on the side of the road, just wants to, just wants to like chomp on whatever is there. So Avram would literally muzzle his animals when he was going through on the road to the city because he didn't want them by mistake to just graze from the sides of the road which belongs to someone else. So the shepherds of Avram said to the shepherds of Lot, you can't do this. And the shepherds of Lot said, nah, your your master's an old man. He's going to die. He has no children. Lot's the next of kin. And didn't didn't your God say that Avram was going to get everything? Well, then we got it. This is going to be ours. So we're just taking it now, a little bit a little bit ahead of time. Now, Avram says we can't live together. It's a fascinating idea here. Avram says Avram says to load Rama and Avram says to Lot let there not be strife between me and you, Ro Roecha, and between my shepherds and your shepherds, <laughs> we're brothers. Hello he says the whole land is before you. You take whatever you want. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. I'm giving you first choice. Take whatever you want. I just don't I don't want to be around you. Being in a society where thievery, where fraud, where taking that which does not belong to you is not considered a serious problem, is damaging to our soul. Avram says, I can't be near you because you're going to rub off on me. There's a certain concept where we have to have a division, a line of demarcation, between ourselves and between those that would rub off on us in a negative way. If you have a friend, even, who's constantly talking negative, who's constantly cynical, we have to learn from Abraham. I, I, can't, I can't be near this person because they're going to rub off on me. You've heard the saying, show me your five closest friends and I'll tell you who you are. So, like, you may have people at work that you come into contact with, Whose mouths run like a, a sewage canal? <laughs> you have to know, like I don't go that way. It's actually it's fascinating, you know. Today, in almost any workplace, you are the language we've lost. We've it's it's actually part of the losing of humanity. When God made av, when God made Adam, it says, He blew into him a speaking spirit. And the Onkelos translates this as in his, Sorry, he he blew into him a living spirit. And Uncleus translates it as he blew into him a speaking spirit. Your neshama is incredibly, the neshama that God blew into us by Onkelos translation. Onkelos is the primary translator of the Torah. Your neshama is a speaking spirit. Your speech is incredibly connected to who you are. And by the way, we see it. You have people who are just always happy and praising and joyful and yet people are always cynical and it really tells you where their neshama is at unfortunately but today the, 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 the filth that so many people in society just come streaming out of their mouth as if, as if there's nothing wrong and they say what is so wrong what is so wrong if I say a curse word Right? What is so wrong? You ever thought about that? What is wrong with someone saying the F word or the S word or whatever those things are, right? What is so wrong? So the answer is you know that when you're saying it, you're saying something that represents something that is not clean. And when you say it, you become not clean. You degrade yourself every time you curse. <laughs> there you go. Now you got to do it every time you curse. <laughs> you degrade yourself every time you curse. And it's sometimes it's hurtful to your soul even being around people who curse all the time. Now, of course, again, in the workplace, you can't avoid it. But you have to know, that's my workplace. That's not what I choose to be around. Avram says, this guy's a thief. And not only is he a thief, he's worse than a thief. He's a thief who rationalizes away what he does. I can't be around him. And Lot leaves. But fascinatingly, the Medrash says, Lot mikedem. And Lot set out, set out from the east. He siyah atzmo mikadmono shel Olam. The word Kedem also means from before, and God is called kadmono shel Olam. God is called the one who was even before the world. So when Lot left Avram, he left God. Omar Efshi Loba Avram I don't want Avram, and I don't want his God. How did this happen? How do you have a Lot who left Haran with Avraham? When God comes to Avraham and says, I want you to take this big journey, I want you to leave it all behind, Lot left everything behind with Avraham. And yet now, Lot is leaving Avraham and leaving his God. What happened over there? The answer is, why did Lot leave with Avraham? Lot and Avram left for very different reasons. Avram went to do what God asked. And even though right when he got there, God gave him a famine. And he had to go down to Egypt, penniless. And when he got to Egypt, his wife was kidnapped. He never faltered and he never wavered because he wasn't doing it for the blessings and the riches that God had promised him. He only was doing it to fulfill God's word. So of course, even though he didn't see blessings, he didn't see riches, he kept doing whatever it was, to f- fulfill God's word. Lot said, I'm going to go with Avraham because I want the wealth that Hashem promised Avraham. And as soon as he got there, there was a famine. Lot was like, I'm done. And as soon as he, had, as soon as he was financially stable, he started with his thieving, he started with his stealing. When Avraham says you need to separate, he's like, I'm out of here. I'll leave that God behind. That God doesn't make good on his promises because I went with Avram and you didn't give me the money right away so we, we have to know what is our goal in serving God if our goal in serving God is the wealth then if the wealth doesn't come you might walk away if your goal in serving God is to be a godly human being then you understand that God is not a jukebox that you put you know, mitzvos into the jukebox and then you hit play the song called wealth and God's like here you go So many people expect that if I just do the right thing, then everything's going to go well. I'm going to be wealthy and healthy, and the lions are going to keep on winning. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how it works. God is not a jukebox. We do the right thing because it's the right thing. We know that there will be reward in the future. Whether we see it immediately or we don't see it immediately is irrelevant, because I didn't do it for the reward. I did it for God. I did it to become a more godly human being. Okay. Now. Another important thing. I want to look back at the language. Bayehi Reeve and there was a quarrel Bain Avram roe Lot between the shepherds of Avram and the shepherds of Lot. And the Canaanite and the Prezy were at the time dwelling in the land. Bayomer Avram Elot Al Natihi Mereva Bainiubainacha. Let there not be a meriva, strife between me and you. Now just let's focus on the Hebrew over here again. We're going today's a Hebrew class. It says Ba there was a fight, a quarrel. And then Avram says, "Al natihi There should not be strife. Why doesn't Avram say, "Al natihi There should not be a fight between us. So the Alshech, one of the great early commentators, mm-hmm. says something fascinating. He says every fight starts off as a little reeve, a little quarrel, but then it gets bigger and bigger, and start sucking in people all around it. Right? Start sucking in, because then you talk to your friend, you're like, did you hear what Sally just did to me? No way, are you serious? I can't believe Yeah, and then she even said, and you start building it up. Sometimes it gets to the point where the meriva, the strife that comes out of this fight is so far beyond whatever you started off with, you may not even remember what it started out as somebody I know was married to a girl and, and in her family there was like a what's the two the families in Romeo and Juliet the Capulets and the and the Montagues right their family had within the family like it was like the Capulets and the Montagues the Schwartzes and the Schwartz. there weren't Schwartzes I'm just saying a name a Jewish name but it was like the Schwartzes and the Schwartzes and there was two sides of the family and we're talking about now it was generational fights. What was it about? Inheritance. No, it wasn't even an inheritance, right? That's a, <laughs> at least there should be over an inheritance. Someone left behind a million dollars. They're fighting over it. No. It was because one of the Schwartzes didn't get a bar mitzvah gift from one of the Schwartzes. <laughs> so that whole branch of the family is now decades later. Do you understand what we're talking about? Decades later, they're still fighting. They walk by each other at a Schwartz family wedding for their other siblings or whatever it is. They don't say hello to each other. Their children don't interact with each other. Generations of animosity and fighting over the most insane stupidity now you would stop them and say, wait, uh, let me settle, you know what, I want, I'm a big peace lover. I'm going to settle this up for you. What were you expecting for a bar mitzvah gift? I don't know, a fountain pen? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to buy you the fountain pen, right? Here, I'll, I'll give you the fountain pen. Oh, no, 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 it's too late now. <laughs> It's too late now. (laughs) No more ceasefire. Calls for ceasefire at this point are just inappropriate. Could you imagine that? (coughs) Over a fountain pen, generations later, Avram recognizes this, and he says, look, this started out as a reeve. It started out as a quarrel but I know how these things get it starts off as a reeve and it becomes a mariva becomes strife I don't want us to have strife let's separate this and quell it, quell it in its infancy quash it while it's still a little reeve let's separate out let's not have this fight let's not let, let, let's not let the fires of conflagration approach it now it's very interesting the word machlokas, I'm going to spell it out over here. If you look at the word for machlokas in Hebrew, <laughs> okay, this is not a great uh, thing, but the word machlokas, the letter mem, has only, a, it goes up and it comes down. It's got a little hole in the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? Just a little tiny hole in between one leg and the next piece. Yeah. By the next letter, the ches, the whole bottom is open already. Right? Then the lamed, it goes all the way up. And it's fully open. And then the Kuf starts going all the way down. <laughs> and then the letter tough is not only that it's totally open on the bottom, but the foot is already heading out into the future. <laughs> That's how a fight goes. It starts off with a little opening. It gets a little bit bigger. It goes all the way up and all the way down to the highest letter in the alphabet, to the lowest letter in the alphabet, and then it kicks out into the future. That's how Machlokas goes. If you look at the letters in Hebrew, again, Mem, Ches, Lamed, Kuf, Saf, Taf. That's what a Machlokas is. So, ladies and gentlemen... Let's remember, if there's any if there's any that we have in our family, if there's anybody that we're still not talking to because we didn't get a fountain pen. And obviously, none of us have that exact situation. But many of us do have family discomfort, family we don't talk so often, family, a friend of mine recently had a situation where a family member of his got angry at him and he he did nothing wrong. I I was very close to the whole story. I know the the whole story. He did nothing wrong. But a family member got angry at him and wouldn't talk to him. And I'm telling you, I know the guy and I know that he, he did nothing wrong. He was not in the wrong. But he called up and he just apologized profusely. Because sometimes it's not about right or wrong. It's about peace and the incredible value of peace that we have in Judaism and how we're willing to do anything for peace. Now, of course, in the, these times, everything you say has to be taken um, carefully because people say, oh, see, the rabbi said we should do anything for peace. We should make a ceasefire now. No, 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 that's not, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Ironically, ironically, I've spoken about this before, There's a difference between peace and appeasement. Appeasement, right? There's peace and appeasement. Appeasement leads to more war, more bloodshed, more killing, more death. It looks friendly and nice. Like Neville Chamberlain came back to England and said he achieved peace in our times. What he really meant is I've achieved appeasement in my times. Which when you try to appease a monster, it only gets bigger and hungrier. I'll give anything for peace, but not for appeasement. I just want to kind of point that out there. People probably are saying to you right now, people are probably saying to you, but what about all the people in Gaza? And I'm sure you're hearing that. And the answer is, I just want you to know, so you should know what the answer should be. First of all, I highly recommend, do not get into conversations with haters about Israel. I can assure you of one thing ahead of time. You will not change your mind. their mind. You're not going to have a rational conversation with a, from river to the sea, Palestine will be free, spouting idiot. Do not engage in conversations with idiots. That's number one. But if you want to know, and someone says to you, and, and we as Jews, of course, we feel horrible about what's going on in Gaza right now. We do feel bad. Golda Meir once said, we could even forgive the Arabs, for what they did to our children, but we can't forgive them for what they made our children do. Anytime we have to kill, it's the most horrible thing. And the fact that the Hamas people are using millions of people as human shields is the most deplorable act, the most cowardly act. When America flattened the whole city of Dresden... In Germany during the war, it wasn't even that the whole city... It wasn't like Nazis were ringed throughout the whole city. There were just a lot of industrial plants there. So America came and flattened the entire city of Dresden during the war. When they flattened the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it wasn't like there was, these cities were filled with soldiers. They needed the war to stop, and they flattened the entire cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But that's not even what we're talking about over here. So... We have to understand that whatever... the If, if you want to know what, what the correct answer is, of course we feel terrible for any innocent life that is lost in Gaza. And there are there are people in Gaza who don't want to be under Hamas rule. As a matter of fact, the majority of people in Gaza hate Hamas. The young people that you see demonstrating, they're being paid off and, they're, and of course they're doing it. People are so afraid to speak up because... Hamas will drag them through the streets and shoot them in their legs and then drag them behind a, a motorbike. We've seen what happens to anybody who speaks up against Hamas. Israel is doing the Palestinians the greatest favor by coming in and wiping out Hamas. When, when Netanyahu and the Israelis say that our objective here is to finish off Hamas, we're doing it for the Jewish people. That's what we're doing it for. But make no mistake... The greatest beneficiaries of this will be the Palestinian people who have been living in abject poverty under the hand, the heavy hand of the most horrific despots in the world who sit and live in villas and mansions in Qatar and take all the money that they get, the billions of dollars that come in and don't give it to the starving people of Gaza but instead use it to build terror and tunnels and give stipends to people who kidnap Jewish people. So what about all the innocent people in Gaza? We're trying to help them too. When the idea of God willing, soon, removes the head of this serpent of Hamas, we will be doing the biggest service to all the two million people living in Gaza. In any case, may Hashem show us soon and rapidly the Yeshua, the salvation of our brethren in Israel, May we do our part to think of any quarrels that we have in our lives that have risen up to become strife and try to do what we can to make more shalom between each other. And this should be a catalyst for us to get shalom in general. And may Hashem bless our people. Hashem, ba shalom. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.